0: helps you to understand and experience the depths of God's love for you and the entire world. Thanks for listening. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 8 through 39. Glory to you, O Lord. My contacts are having trouble. I'm blaming my contacts. I'm really having a hard time reading it this morning. You all look clear, but the writing is blurry. In fact, I'm going to be really embarrassed. Russ, do you mind coming up and reading again? Because I'm just going to struggle right through it. Thank you.
1: Then Jesus and his disciples arrived at the country of the Caresonese, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you done to me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let, them, to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gadarenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: Praise you may be seated, Russ. Thank you very much. I appreciate that word, Gerasenes, right? Uh, which. Um, is an area across from the Sea of Galilee, which means Jesus is going from a predominantly uh, Jewish area to a Gentile area. So uh, we don't get the fact where he gets in and goes across a boat. That's how Jesus gets there. Um, You can say whenever Jesus is going somewhere in a boat, generally there's some kind of storm that happens. He's crossing some kind of boundary. That the people have said you shouldn't be crossing is going to a land where people say you shouldn't be. And so, this is a story that takes place across the Sea of Galilee with a group of people that are Gentile. They are non Jewish, they are not part of the chosen or the promised people. And so, this is a story that goes out that the gospel is not for a small, select group, it is for everybody. There are no bounds. As I said before, and I had a professor say this in seminary, if you ever try and draw a circle around Jesus, do you know where you'll find Jesus? Outside that circle. He is always where he is not supposed to be. Or where people say he's not supposed to be. And this story is indicative of that as well. But I want to take another track with this uh, sermon today as well. Because it has to do with demons. Demons that overtake us and identify us or that we identify ourselves with or demons that overtake us and that other people now identify us as that. You know what I mean? Because this man is possessed, right? At that time, let's be honest, they don't have, uh, (laughs) aren't really aware of mental health issues. So I'm not going to say he was really possessed by demons or what exactly that means, but I don't think it's an uncommon thing to think People at that time that had mental health issues, that didn't know how to control it or didn't, whatever it might have been, would, they would say they were possessed by demons. I saw this on Facebook this week, and I thought it was really appropriate. I have Jesus and a therapist that was on a coffee cup. <laughs> right? I think that is just something we need to just continually advocate for. If you are struggling, it is okay to see somebody, and it is good to see somebody. Uh, I used to see a a counselor. I had one here for a little bit also after my brother. (laughs) After my brother died, I remember the first counselor I saw back in Wisconsin, he said, honestly, Tim, I think it's the healthiest people that actually go to see somebody because they recognize they need to see somebody. And it's a lot of times when you don't think you need it that you actually so I want to make that point also just as we struggle. We need to understand what is causing it. How do we treat that? How do we talk about it openly and honestly and in safe places? And not let it define us. Because that really is what's going on in this story. This man is being defined by his demons. Anybody us feel you are defined by your demons? where you find other people by their demons, that never happens in the world, does it? This man is identified by his demons. And the way he is treated by the community is because of that. He is ostracized. He is naked. He is chained. He is sleeping in the tombs. I mean... It's bad enough to be alone, be ostracized out in the wilderness, but now you're out in the tombs. I don't think you could really get much worse than that. That is a really unclean place. So it's not just he's isolated, but he is unclean, right? There is, I don't know, it's bad enough to have no community, but now to have this as your community, that almost takes a step further. Does that make sense? And this is how he's been treated. By his demons. And when he has asked his name, notice by himself he doesn't have a name, does he? But it's the demons that answer for him. Legion, for there are many. And that legion is a unit of a Roman military. It means about 6,000 troops. So when it's not just that he has, ah, oh, there's some minor issues going on. By giving the name of legion, by giving the name of the name he has is a military term used to, uh, to identify 6,000 Roman troops, the greatest force the world had ever seen at that point. Right? The depth that this man is struggling, it hints at that. That is how people identify and treat him, and I am going to make the assumption that is how he identifies, because that's the name that is given, and treats himself. I think this is why it is so important. I I can feel my emotions right here right now, so just so you're aware. Why this gospel passage is paired with that passage we just heard, right? There is no longer, listen to this, there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is no longer male or female. You are all one in Christ. We are really good at putting people in groups, aren't we? We do it in church. We do it in our schools. It doesn't matter where it is. There are ins and outs. You belong, you don't belong. We do it between countries. We do it whoever it might be. Jesus is so clear. Wherever you draw a boundary, God is working to tear it down. It should no longer exist. We do not treat people or we do not treat ourselves based on a label, anything else other than you are one in Christ. That is the only label by which we treat other people or we treat ourselves. Can you imagine if that's what we actually did? If that's the label by which we treated people, by which we saw them, by which we saw ourselves, One of the most sacred times I get to do is be with people at the end of their life. We're going to get to Nancy Johnson's funeral at the end. So the story I'm going to share, because I just was with Nancy at the end of her life, I want to be clear that this story is not about Nancy. Uh, But there was a, uh, a person years ago that got called to the hospital. They're near the end, and he'd just been crabby. The nurses had said, um, he's just having a hard time, hard to talk to, hard to treat, hard to communicate with. So, I, and this was when I was a chaplain um, at a hospital during seminary. So I walk in the room, and we sit and we talk, I identify myself, who I am, and I just say, I hear you're having a rough go. I understand it sucks right. And after breaking the ice a little bit, he simply goes, I want to know that I'm going to be okay. If you only knew, you wouldn't be able to sit across from me right now. I just want to know I'm going to be okay. How many of us struggle with that? How many of us wonder, am I really okay? Am I worth it? Am I able to be loved? Do I have worth? Do I have value? And when we doubt that, how often does that affect the way we treat other people because of how we view ourselves, right? I had the privilege of sitting there and saying, you're going to be okay. And not you're going to be. You are okay. So I left. Got a phone call. A couple days later, the gentleman had died. It was from his daughter. And she had said, I don't know what you did. But he was different for those last couple days than he had been prior. He was able, to see, in my opinion, he was able to see himself in a different light. The only tragedy that I, for me in that story is that it took him until the last two days of his life to see himself in a different light. Right? Can we not wait for the last two days of our lives to see ourselves in a different light? That doesn't mean that our actions don't have consequences. To just go out and do whatever you want, right? And everything's going to be fine, right? That's not what it is. This is at a much deeper level. When we understand who we are, we don't identify ourselves by our faults, by our mistakes, by our guilt, by our shame, by our misdeeds. We identify ourselves as love. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, good. You put the two opposing terms in there, right? You are one with Christ. The person who sits in front of you that you really enjoy get along with is one with Christ. The person who sits behind you that you have strained relationships with that maybe rubs you the wrong way, or you rubbed them the wrong way, is one with Christ. And that's just within our own selves. What if we approached other things, other people, not by what they've done or this situation, but by who they are in Christ? I'm not trying to say I have an answer to immigration reform. I don't. But I know there are people in horrible situations that need help, that are loved, that deserve better. How do we let the identity we give them drive the way we treat them? Can you see how sometimes the Bible is so relevant for us today? Not because of situations are the same, but because the themes that are going on back then are still happening now here in our lives. How do we let God's love drive our motivations, drive our actions, drive Policy, drive whatever it might be, whether it's on a personal level, whether it's on a a national level, whether it's on a global level. What would that look like? That's our task. It's not easy. In fact I don't think there's anything harder. And there's many days in which I say, forget it, I'm out (laughs) because it's so difficult. But right now, today, I'm here with you, and we're forging that path ahead, knowing that God is leading, and God's going outside that circle we might draw, and together we go. Amen. That's the sermon for this week. We hope from it you learned a bit more about God's love for you and the world. Please subscribe and rate our podcast to help us be found by and reach more people. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, you are loved.